Who in their right mind would ever dream of tightrope walking over the Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, and Times Square? And can do so without fear? Well, buckle on up as you are about to listen to the greatest daredevil of our time in the world. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast, where we interview remarkable world-class experts that help bring out the greatness within you. Top book authors, super successful business people, and outstanding special guests that will motivate and inspire you with their incredible, uplifting stories and life-changing tips and strategies. Our goal is your success. If you desire more out of life, you've dialed into the right show. So fasten your seatbelts, friends, and let's get ready for some high-octane motivation. Now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest on The Motivation Show has 11 Guinness World Records and a resume of accomplishing never-before-seen death-defying feats. He has written his name in history as truly the king of the high wire. He has performed live in every state in the USA and all over the world. He has garnered the support from tens of millions of live viewers in network television specials on ABC, the Discovery Channel, and others. From crossing the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls to walking blindfolded between two towers in Chicago, he personifies the Walenda family legacy of never giving up and has time and time again proven that fear is a liar. Yes, you heard that right. Fear is a liar. That has led him to writing the book, Facing the Fear, with a great subtitle, Step Out in Faith and Rise Above What's Holding You Back. Welcome to The Motivation Show, Nick Walenda. Thanks for having me on. Nick, I'm excited to talk to you today because fear has probably held almost every single human being back from accomplishing the things that they desire and helping them get to the legacy that they really have been put on this earth for, including myself. <laughs> I get a feeling there's a lot more to this life than simply eating, drinking, and, you know, having fun. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So after years of training in your book, you write, you don't see what others see, that every time you get on the wire, you risk your life. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, look, I'll kind of give you a little family history that'll kind of lead into that. So my family started performing back in the 1780s. So seven generations, 200 years plus, they have entertained audiences around the globe, started in Bohemia, eventually made their way to Europe and the United States in 1928 to perform on Ringling Brothers. And throughout our family's history, we have, we have lost seven family members to performing. Obviously, we are taking major risks every time we get on the wire. However, what I would tell you is my great-grandfather said it best when he said, life is on the wire and everything else is just waiting. For our family, walking the wire is our life. It isn't a job. It isn't a career. It's not an occupation. It is just who we are because we have done it so long. So 
because of that, there's dangers in that. You can become complacent because you've done it so long. But also, uh, you know, we train incredibly hard to prepare for every situation you could imagine when we're walking the wire, whether it be training for for Niagara Falls, for example. I trained with 50 mile an hour winds, knowing they weren't going to exceed about 35 to 40 miles per hour. I trained with torrential downpours. I trained with fire trucks hosing me down. Trained for those worst cases. I believe that we all take risks in life every day, and maybe mine seems more real than most to most people. However, what I would say is we all take risks every time we get in a car. I think about it often. It's funny. I think more about the risk of that than when I'm walking the wire. But when I'm walk, driving down the, a, a two-lane highway at 50 miles per hour, and there's someone coming at me at 50 miles per hour, if somebody just for a split second loses focus, which happens all the time, it could create a headlong collision in, in cost. Isn't that true, right? People and, looking down in their phone, you know, and they're right. texting and for one second, it changes everything. That's right. And crossing the street, getting on airplanes, we're all taking risks every day. Uh, what I do on the wire is taking a very calculated risk. When I walked across the Grand Canyon, I trained with 90 mile an hour winds. I trained on a wire that was much less stable. I walked a wire five times the distance during training without stopping. Again, trying to overtrain. So I think we all take risks in life. I don't think we should all live life in fear. I think we should all live life boldly because of that. I think that because we all take risks in life, we should live every day like it's our last. And many people, most people don't live their lives that way. And I don't mean to be careless and reckless living your life as it's your last day, but I mean being respectful, being loving, being caring, and, and pursuing our dreams. You know, that little four-letter word fear holds so many people back from their calling. You mentioned it in, in the introduction. So many people have bigger dreams, bigger goals, bigger ambitions. I believe that there is a large percent of society that wakes up in the morning and goes to work every single day, not happy. Maybe miserable is an overstatement, but certainly not where they think they should be in life. I wrote this book, Facing Fear, to help that person hopefully overcome the fears they're facing to pursue that job that they want, to pursue that dream and that vision and that desire that was placed in their heart from a young age. And for some reason, life happened and got in the way. So they, instead of going straight, they wide off and went this direction. And my goal is to reconnect them for that path of what they were called to do. And again, I believe that it's fear that holds them back because the reality is, yes, there is comfort in the fact that I know that I have a paycheck every Friday and it does cover the mortgage payment at the end of the month. However, to be live life miserable to me is not a way to live life. To live life in a job, a career, an occupation that is you're literally just there to get a paycheck at the end of the week, that's not the way to live life. So I encourage people to be wise, use wisdom. I'm not telling anyone to quit their job today to pursue their dream job. But what I'm encouraging people to do is start to pursue that dream job. Start to pursue that dream, that goal, that ambition, that desire. It might be running a marathon. It may have nothing to do with work, but you may be too scared to take that first mile jog because you're scared that you won't make it for the entire marathon uh, after training for, you know, for, but what I encourage people is run the first block is all you have to do on day one and then build upon that. And eventually you will make it to that marathon. Yes. It seems overwhelming when you're looking at it and going, well, I have to run 26, whatever miles to get through that. But the reality is if you start with just one step, eventually you'll make it there. And if you're not stepping forward, you'll never make it to the end of that marathon. That's great wisdom. Let's take Nick, the sort of classic fear of a person who's working, has a family, has got a pretty good job, it's a decent paycheck, but they're not really happy at their job, but they stay in the job because they fear that somehow the new job 
won't work out. And unfortunately, you know, like they want to be an entrepreneur, right? Yep. Not really a job they're going for, but they want to be right. an entrepreneur. And that's kind of in their mind and all or none risk, because if it doesn't work out, you know, there's no steady paycheck. Yep. Uh, speak to that. So you're, you're talking about the internal dialogue that talks us out of all of our dreams and goals and ambitions, basically. You know, it's very easy for me to say, well, I want to expand my company, but in order to expand, I got to buy a new location and that's going to cost X amount of dollars. And therefore, if, if I just stay where I'm at, at least I'm doing okay here. Well, the reality is until you move to that direction, until you take that step, until you buy that second location, you'll never know. So my, my answer would be rather than when my mind tells me, well, what if you only make it the first? mile in the marathon, my mind says, you're going to make it to two marathons. I counter that. And again, a lot of times it's, it's an argument in my mind. And we all know that analogy of the angel and the devil on each shoulder. And, and that's the internal dialogue. And every one of us, I don't know anyone that I've met in my life or come across that says, I don't have an internal dialogue. And I encourage people to look at it from the other side. Our minds are prone to focus on negativity. Immediately, I get in an argument with my wife. We've been married for 21 years happily, but my mind immediately goes to the 10 arguments that we had. It doesn't go to the 500 incredible dates that we've had. For some reason, our minds are programmed that way. So what I have done literally, and that's a perfect example, when I get in an argument with my wife, rather than allowing my mind to think about negative things, I go, I try to think about positive things. Why am I in love with her? Why did I fall in love with her? Why, you know, why are we, why, you know, again, it is a process, but rather than allowing my mind to go down that rabbit trail of negativity, I immediately cut that off. And what I've learned is even, even in the car, when somebody cuts me off and I want to get mad, literally I'll go, what benefit is it? If I yell at that car, yell at, is that going to change it? Is he going to drive differently? Is it going to affect his day or is it going to make his day worse? What benefit is that to him or me? I think so often we waste so much time focusing on negativity. I don't even watch the news anymore because there's so much negativity. I read my news. I stay informed. I stay educated. Again, life is, is very important that we use wisdom in everything that we do. And I'll use that as a dialogue throughout all of this, but we have to be very wise. So it is important that we know what's going on with this virus, that we know what's going on with our country, that we know what's going on with the world and the world that surrounds us. But because news is so negative focused, there is no benefit to me sitting down and watching. Uh, and it don't matter what side of the spectrum you're on, there is no benefit of watching CNN or Fox, in my opinion. They may not like to hear that, but the reality is it doesn't help me further my life. It doesn't make me a better person. I can get on my phone and I can read my news and I can stay informed enough. I limit it to 15 minutes a day. That's all that I need. That's enough to stay informed and then move on and live my life. What drives Nick Walenda really every morning? You know, what, what is your passions in life besides walking a high wire? What makes you tick? You know, uh, it used to be walking a wire in, in order to impress people. I always, you know, wanted to impress the next person. I am certainly a people pleaser. I like to make people happy. For instance, my first book, Balance, I talk about the stories of working at a restaurant at 15 years old as a busboy. By the time I was 21, I was the general manager of that restaurant, all the while still having this passion for performing, but struggles of performing and, and, and carrying on this legacy. Uh, we can get into that in a little bit, but my parents really pushed me away from the industry because of the struggles that were within. But what drives me, I would say, is, um, is to inspire people. When I get up in the morning, one of my greatest prayers is for wisdom. And it is also to be able to positively affect at least one person throughout the day. 
And that can be as simple as being at the gas station, pumping someone's gas who needs help. It can be as simple as being at, at Home Depot and helping somebody load some wood in the back of their truck. It can be as simple as saying, hey, you have an amazing smile or how's your day? I think it's, it's so often that in life, when we ask that question, I think it's normal to say, how are you today? Hey, how's it going? Do we really care how, how it's going? When we say that question, it, it's just something we say. It's true. Uh, it's just something that is just normal. And hey, I'm going to say, how's it going? Because I have to, but I really only care about the results of what I need. And I try to really catch myself in that. I, I, try, to, I try to make it a, a point to reach out to at least one person a day that's on my phone list. I've got about 4,000 contacts on my phone list. It's pretty big. But I try to reach out to at least one person that I haven't talked to for a couple months just to see how they're doing. I don't need anything from them. I don't want anything from them. It's so often that we go, oh, I need something. So I'm going to text that person. Hey, how's it going? I need this. I think we need to make it a point that when we ask how it's going to somebody to really care, like really mean what we're saying, even if it's one person a day, start that way. We can change someone's life from literally just, just by smiling at them. We don't know what those people are going through. You know, I talked about somebody cutting me off in traffic. I don't know what that person just went through. They might be on the way to the hospital because they're dying in their car or someone in their car. Who knows what they're going through in life? So I think we, we really need to make it a point to change our perspective and the way we see things in life. And, and people say, well, the world is such a messed up place. Look, one step, one moment, one person at a time. And if we can continue to share that love uh, to others and share generosity, we have the, the manners are gone from society. People don't care about other people. They just want what they want. We are in a selfish society. And I encourage people, be the difference, be the change. When my kids got up for school in the morning, every day I would tell them, be the difference. You be the difference at school. And I always try to encourage them that now they're all adults. And, and when I talk to them, I say the same thing. But we really can affect somebody just by smiling at them, just by caring when we say, how are you Absolutely, doing? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh, just by a compliment. Again, a, a respectful compliment can really change someone's day and change their outlook. I really love what you're saying. You know, and Gandhi said it, you know, he said, be the change you want to see in other people, right? Yeah, uh, And right. he preached that. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this just yesterday myself, and I had a conversation about the, the fact that, you know, like I have thousands of people myself in my database, but very few people will reach out just to say hello. The only time you often hear from a lot of these people, it's agenda-based. And when it's yeah. agenda-based, you know, it just doesn't have the same meaning. So why That's not right. just reach out just to reach out and show the humanity of it? And yeah. so I want to thank you for that. And, you know, people are often the public guy like yourself are, you know, very self-absorbed, you know, very ego driven. And the fact that you're so humble about it and, you know, you're just there to make a difference and that's your primary goal. Uh, I mean, that's just so refreshing. So I want to thank you for sharing that. So I want to get into a little bit about some of the uh, incredible death defying stuff that you've actually done. Uh, I know people are very curious about that. In June 2013, you completed yet another lifelong dream uh, that was six years in the making. You became the first person to cross the Grand Canyon on a wire. Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I had, uh, it actually was a dream when I was younger, and it was, it was walking across the Grand Canyon on a wire. And from that moment on, it was a desire that I had and something that I, I truly believe that we all have desires placed in our hearts and that we need to pursue those desires. They're there for a reason. And again, that is what a lot of people give up on are those desires. And I had this desire. I didn't know why I had this desire, but it was something I wanted to do. So I pursued that. It took about six years, as you mentioned. By the time I got permissions to do it, 
it was a monumental task in itself. It was live on the Discovery Channel. It was actually seen live in 220 countries around the world and by about 23 million people in the United States alone that evening. And uh, it was a dream come true. It was a wire that was rigged 1,600 feet above the rocks of the canyon. It was around 14 to 1,500 feet long. It was a two-inch wire rope, something that was not comfortable for me. And, and the reason being was it was the size it was. People would think a larger wire more comfortable. Well, the reality is my entire life from 18 months old, I walked on a wire that was five-eighths of an inch thick, about the size of a nickel. And that is my comfort zone. That's what I like. That's what I enjoy. If there's any issues, if there's an accident, if I have to, to bail, I go down and hold that wire. Five-eighths inch wire is easier to hold than a two-inch wire. There are many reasons why. It's more comfortable on my feet. A two-inch wire rolls under your feet. But anyways, uh, we rigged this wire. It was about 26,000 pounds, and we rigged it to about 75,000 pounds of tension. And I made my way across that wire, hit with 43-mile-an-hour gusts of wind twice, no safety devices whatsoever, and made it to the other side. I remember getting to the other side and turning around and looking back and just just crying with emotions, being filled with emotion. And, and it was a, it was an emotion of accomplishment. It was something that most people said was impossible to even complete, let alone wind gusts of 40 plus miles per hour. And again, there's something so fulfilling of, you know, you have these desires and you accomplish those desires. And, and, you know, I keep going back to it, but so many people give up on those desires. They give up on those dreams, those ambitions, those goals that they have because of the hurdles. And I can tell you that throughout my career, I've hit many hurdles. In fact, walking across Niagara Falls took changing two laws, one in the United States and one in Canada, over 100 years old, just to get permission to walk across. And it wasn't as though I knocked on the first senator's door and the governor's door and he said, okay, no problem. We'll, we'll write a legislation that allows you to do it. There were a lot of hurdles. There was a lot of no's. There was a lot of tears shed on my couch like, wow, this is just this, this goal is unaccomplishable. I'm not going to be able to fulfill this dream, but I continue to get back up and, and I continue to live by the, the words of my family, which actually started, you know, a couple hundred years ago and they were the show must go on no matter what show goes on. I've adapted them to be uh, more friendly to others, but to never give up. I believe that if, if we continue to pursue those dreams, no matter what hurdles, stumbles, roadblocks we hit and don't give up, eventually we will we will be successful. I think, uh, you know, in business, people see failure, they go down this avenue and okay, failure, and they turn around and they go, okay, well, they tuck their tail between their legs and run the other way. Man, failure is just another stepping stone. That's just another step up. Okay, I hit failure. Now I'm up here. Now I got to keep going. Oh, I hit failure again. Doesn't matter if you continue to go on. I mean, I, you know, you look at the stories of some of the most successful athletes in the world. You look at Michael Jordan, he was kicked off his high school team. There are so many stories of people that go, you know what? The reason why I am where I am today is because I didn't give up when I failed, but I continue to push through that failure. You know, the classic thinking for people who don't attempt things is there's a fear of success and there's also a fear of failure. Yep. And people, you know, I think one of the most classic ones are getting on a stage and talking. They say that actually public speaking is a greater fear than even death. So yeah. people won't even give <laughs> themselves a chance to get up there because they're afraid what other people will think. And that's a key thing, afraid of what other people will think, not even what they're thinking. Can yeah, you speak right. to that a little bit? Yeah, look, I will tell you, being vulnerable, I've dealt with those fears of public speaking, of getting up on that stage and speaking to a crowd. And I'll tell you what that fear is. It's the fear of not delivering to the level that people expect. 
And I've always tried to deliver to the highest level possible, whether I'm sweeping the floor, vacuuming the house, it doesn't matter, painting the, the walls or, or, or whatever it might be. I always try to deliver to the highest level possible. I think so many people just kind of go for settle for status quo and just, eh, okay, well, it's good. It's good enough. I can sweep that under the rug. But the reality is I think we should do everything with perfection. And that creates fear often because when I am speaking to the public, I'm scared. Okay. Am I going to deliver the right message? Am I going to motivate? Am I going to expire? Are, are people going to, to leave there going, wow, that was a great message. So, you know, I deal with those fears too, uh, just like everybody else. Maybe it's in a little different, different aspect. I'm not scared. I'll get up on stage. I'll walk around, but am I going to deliver again? Am I going to deliver to that level? So fear can also drive you. I believe that there's a very fine line between what fear and respect is, because the reality is, is it fear uh, when I get on that stage that I'm not going to deliver? Or is it the fact that I respect those people so much that I want mm. to deliver to this level? Yes. Uh, and I think there's that fine line. And I think we really have to realize and, re and recognize that that is a reality, that fear and respect are very, very close in line parallels with one another. So I don't fear the wire, but I respect it. So therefore I, I train with 90 mile an hour winds before I walk across the wire with 48 mile an hour winds because of the level of respect. And you can use that fear to drive you. You can use it again. It drives me to be better because I'm, I fear of under delivering, not delivering to the level that I should. So I, I encourage people to step out in their fear, you know, again, so many people are stuck looking back because they're scared rather than continuing to focus forward. What about people who, who simply are not as disciplined as you are? I mean, here you are training in every kind of condition and some people just never going to put in that kind of effort. How do you speak to that? Look, I see every situation as life or death, whether it be on the wire or off the wire, it doesn't matter. You know, every meeting that I go to, every presentation that I do, it's life or death. I've got to make it to the other side of that wire. That's life over there. I've got to make it through this meeting. So try to over-prepare. I think that people need to, to recognize that. And again, you're never going to get to that. I'll keep going back to that analogy. You're never going to win the marathon until you take the first step. So many people are scared to take the first step. So take the first step. That's the key, I think, is, is take that step. And once you take that step, then you can work towards that. Now, you're uh, actually on a high wire and you're risking life and limb. Other people are backing away from things that are not risking life and limb, but they're in a tremendous fear of, let's say, getting in an MRI in that kind of closed space. It's, a, it's an irrational fear, but it's a fear nevertheless. Right. How do you uh, talk to people who are, have a fear like that and what yep. can they do in your mind? It is about controlling your internal dialogue. There is no benefit of me stressing whether I'm going to get in a car accident or not today. What benefit does that do? There's no benefit of me of me thinking that way. Um, there's no benefit of me thinking about getting in that MRI machine and it being close quarters and freaking out prior to getting in there. What does that add to my life other than stress, other than take days away from my life? We know that stress is very bad uh, for our health. And, and I think so many people are so focused on the problem that doesn't even exist. So leading up to that, for one, I mentally, I visualize everything that I do. When I'm walking across a wire in my backyard, 10 feet high, I'm visualizing walking over the Grand Canyon, over an active volcano, over Niagara Falls. That's what I do as I'm training. So, so there's nothing wrong with you sitting there and visualizing. I am, I'm working with a company right now that has... Um, virtual reality, they do virtual reality films. And, and what we're doing is trying to use that for the medical world. We're trying to use that so that in your living room, you can go in that MRI machine mm. 
but you're in the comfort of your living room. So you can sort of acclimate to that MRI machine prior to getting there. And I think that's part of that internal dialogue. I do it because I visualize in my head. Some people don't, may not be blessed with the skill to do that, but now this will allow them to do that. Again, it's about when you get in that machine, nothing bad that the odds are on your side. Just like when I get on that wire, the odds are on my side. Just like when I get on a car, when I get on an airplane, the odds are on my side. The statistics say I'm not going to crash in that airplane. The statistics say it's not likely I'm going to get in a car accident. The statistics say I'm going to make it from point A to point B. Uh, yes, accidents happen, but why focus on the 0.0001% when you have 99.99999% of positive? Again, it goes back to our minds focusing on negativity. And it is about training our minds in the small situations so that when the big situations happen, we're prepared, we're tried, we're war ready, we're prepared, we're, we're good to go. So I encourage people in the small situations, start controlling your internal dialogue. And it can be as simple as getting frustrated in traffic. It can be as simple as your coffee not being hot enough that you bought, but start to control that. Control your emotions, which will lead to controlling your inner dialogue. And that's how you can get into that MR machine and, and not freak out. Yeah, people intellectually know that when they get on a plane, you know, it's uh, very rare that something will happen. I mean, you're much more likely in a, in a car to have an accident. People also yep. know when they get in that MRI machine, really what's going to happen to them. Right. You know, it's uh, you know, half right. an hour, it's all over, but they still freak out and they still don't know how to handle it. What role does faith have in all that? So look, my faith plays a key role in my entire life. It's who I am. I'm a Bible-believing, God-fearing individual. What I love about the Bible and about God is that he's very practical. And I believe that God's word applies to everybody, whether you believe in the God that I believe in, if you believe in Jesus Christ being your Lord and Savior, or whether you believe. But the reality is uh, there's very, very practical wisdom in the Bible. And a lot of it is controlling our thoughts and controlling our where we allow our, our minds to go. And there are so many, again, practical scriptures that I can bring up. And often when I'm dealing with fear, I'll bring up you know, a scripture in my mind and quote that. But that is a form of controlling that inner dialogue. It's, you know, I believe that those those negative thoughts are like like I think the best analogy is a weed growing in your garden. When that negative thought comes in, pluck that weed out or it'll spread seeds, germinate, take over the garden. I've seen it in so many people's lives. I've seen it in some family members of mine's lives where they'll start down this path and they will just feed into it. You know, it, even in the political world, people will start to read what they believe. In fact, social media is now designed to give you, feed you what you want to hear. Therefore, you're going to believe whatever you see. And the more you see it, the more you're going to believe it. And that is a dangerous road to go down. So I know I went off a tangent from, from my faith, but I believe that we really need to be smart about how much time we spend on social media, all of that stuff. Because again, it is all programmed to create us. It creates a selfish individual. And, and again, it makes you believe, even though I, I try to be very, very open. I try to read both political sides. I try to be open to other people's faith and what they believe. Again, I, I do believe, you know, I am born again. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a born again Christian. And, and I believe that Jesus died for my sins, et cetera, et cetera. But again, when I'm on that wire, I'm often spending time with Jesus. I find a peace there. The Bible says God will provide a peace that passes all understanding, but I'm not preaching. I'm not trying to, to convert you. If you see what the peace that I have and you want a piece of it, I'll tell you how I get it, but I'm not going to force it down your throat. Makes sense. So you uh, did something that I find to be quite fascinating. You hung on to a helicopter using only your teeth. Not many people think of doing that in their life. Tell us what inspired that and tell us how that experience was. 
Yeah. So my uh, grandmother used to have a photo in her living room, actually it was in her kitchen and it was of her hanging by her teeth under my grandfather's bicycle that he was riding on the wire. And uh, I saw that photo and I try to do everything that I do to not only inspire others, but pay tribute to my family history and respect to them. And I thought, you know, how can I kind of highlight my grandmother and her career? And uh, that time I was filming a TV series for the Discovery Channel. And I, I thought, you know, it might be really cool if I hang by my teeth under a helicopter. So I started training. It was one of the most painful experiences I've ever been through. And after about uh, nine months of training, I hung under a helicopter about, uh, I think it was 180 feet above an amusement park in uh, Branson, Missouri, Silver Dollar City, and uh, broke a world record. Now, since then, my wife has broken that world record by hanging on, by her teeth under a helicopter at about 400 feet over Niagara Falls. Again, it was, it was just something that I did because I felt like it was, um, it again, honored my grandmother and carried on this legacy. And uh, to be honest, I thought it was something that was pretty fascinating and cool that, that viewers would think was amazing. Are you going to let your wife have that record or are you going to go back <laughs> for another shot? You know, we'll see. I have so many things on my mind that, uh, you know, and different, different goals and, and uh, different directions that I'm going that, you know, time will tell. My wife is an incredible aerialist. She holds two Guinness World Records under helicopters. She is not only that, but an amazing mother of three. I have a 20, we have a 23-year-old Marine. We have a 19-year-old in the U.S. Army who's about to turn 20 and an 18-year-old daughter about to go to nursing school. But so we'll see. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever attempt to break her record, but it is a fun little, little battle that we have going back and forth. Yeah, so the core of your incredible book, which I just can't put down, you know, Facing Fear, you talk about the eight-person pyramid walk in 2017, how that sort of changed some of your thinking at the time. You were hanging yeah. helpless above your troops, several of which were family members, uh, as they were literally scattered on the ground below and fell. Tell us about that experience and yeah, how that so, changed you. So in 18, we were attempting to break our own world record by performing the highest four-level eight-person pyramid on the wire. And we trained for about six weeks. And after those six weeks, we of training down low in my backyard, we made our way up to full height about two days before we were going to premiere that to a live audience and break that record for Guinness. And it was at that point that my worst nightmare became a reality. I was about halfway out on the wire. Uh, the pyramid collapsed. I caught the wire by the grace of God, as did my cousin and one other gentleman. But five family members fell to the ground and were injured in different capacities. I was not physically injured. But uh, what I didn't realize at that point is that I was, I was mentally injured. And I went on, in fact, the next day, my sister was in the hospital, my aunt was in the hospital, three others were in the hospital, didn't know my sister was in a coma, didn't know if she was even going to survive. She'd broken every bone in her face. In fact, she currently has 73 screws and plates in her face alone. And I got back on the wire the next day. I live by the words, never give up. My family has 1962, a seven person pyramid fell that my family was performing Two uncles were killed. My great-grandfather was in the hospital with injuries. Doctor wouldn't release him, so he snuck out and performed the next day. Hmm. So I thought I was doing what was right, and I jumped back on the wire. We all know the analogy of getting back on the horse. Yep. Uh, and I did that. But the reality was by getting back on the wire for me is I only buried that, that little seed of fear that had been planted at that point. I didn't know it was even there. But by getting back on that horse, it actually was not the good thing for me. I should have taken some time off to deal with the mental side of things and then gotten back on the wire. Oh, I got back on the wire and performed for six weeks and then took some time off. 
and then started training for a, a headlining on another show and recreating a seven person pyramid, which is basically the same pyramid with, well, it's with one person less at the very top at the apex. And uh, I started trembling on the wire and experiencing this, this fear that became debilitating. In fact, uh, I thought I was hiding it. I thought that no one knew. I remember going to my wife about five days into rehearsal and saying, you know, I need you to watch uh, this pyramid. Let me know who's somebody shaking in the pyramid because I'd never experienced it before. So I didn't even know if it was me. In fact, in training with this pyramid, we're all connected together. Many times throughout my career, I felt a tremble, but it was someone else that I was connected to. And my wife said, you're the one trembling. And in the back of my mind, I, I, I knew it was me. And I said, uh, you know, I kind of played it off. And at that point, I realized that it wasn't just me that, that knew what was going on, but everybody in the troop knew, knew that I was dealing with something. And uh, after about five more days, I went to my apartment in New York City. I was like, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I remember my wife sitting there and saying, you know, that's not the Nick Valenda that I know. I think you need to rethink what you're saying. You overcome. Your family overcomes. That's what they do. You live by the words, never give up. You do what you do to inspire people. She's like, I think you need to take a deep breath figure out what's going on, but I don't think you should, should say you're never going to get on the wire again. And that sort of sent me into a spiral. And uh, that's the book that I wrote, Facing Fear, really tells that story of how I had to, and, and again, very much internal dialogue. I was allowing my mind to go back to that accident. And I talked a bit ago about how our minds focus on the, on the 0.001%. And that's yeah. what I was doing. I'd held that pyramid thousands of times successfully, probably more than anyone in the world ever held that eight-person pyramid, seven-person pyramid at least. And I held it successfully. I had one accident. My mind just wanted to focus on that accident. So uh, the, the book tells the process of how, you know, I like inspirational music, uh, how that was a big process in what I listened to. I think it's important that we filter everything that goes into our minds. We don't realize that these obviously uh, are often the music we listen to speak is speaking over our life over and over again. The words we say, I, I, I won't even say the words and I, I cringe when people say it around me, my back is killing me. Even for me to say that now is hard because people are, they're, they're speaking negative over their life rather than saying, Hey, my back hurts, you know? People continually to do that, speak negative, speak negative. And, and I believe that can often take root, um, not in any hocus pocus way, but eventually you listen to something long enough, you believe it. We talked about it with the media a little while ago, uh, whatever side you're on. If you listen to Fox enough, you're going to lean that way. If you listen to CNN enough, you're going to listen to that. You're going to lean that way. I mean, it's just the reality. So, you know, I really had to filter all the negative that was around me. I had to, I had to go back to the basics. I had forgotten what I had taught so many times to other people mm, yeah. and I had to go back and go, okay. Even though I've said this a thousand times, now I need to practice it again because because I'm not practicing it anymore. And my mind was going to really dark places. I would get on the wire and literally with in a form of PTSD. It's real. It's legit. I'm not saying it isn't, but I believe we can work through that. It's it's a mind game. And uh, I was watching that pyramid collapse in front of me over and over and over again. So are you back to pre 2017, Nick? I am. Yeah. In fact, I think that I've, 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 I think that I've grown through that. You know, I think that um, every negative situation that we go through in life can be used for, for good. I, I don't necessarily believe that everything happens for a reason, but I believe that we can find reason in everything that happens. Mm, well um, and, and, and that's so important. I think that we do find that reason, you know, through that accident, I started penning things down and, and, and again, it turned into a book that now I've received thousands of letters from people that go, wow, I was dealing with this fear and now I've been able to overcome that fear and I've gotten to where I am today. 
So, and that is always the goal of every negative situation. I've learned that every time I'm in the valley, I'm just that much closer to the mountaintop. And if I can realize that when I'm in the valley, if I can go, okay, I'm having a bad day, but guess what? Tomorrow's going to be a better day or later today, it can be better uh, and change, change my attitude when I'm in those valleys, because it used to be doom and gloom when I was in those valleys, but now it's going, you know what? Hey, I'm going to rejoice in the valley because man, great things are about to happen. So what future daredevil acts are you looking forward to challenging or what can we look forward to and anticipate from Nick Walenda? You know, I'm working on, uh, on all sorts of things. I'm working on a, on a stunt, not wire related in outer space right now. I'm working on uh, a stunt in, in England. I'm working on, oh goodness. I'm working on a bunch of different walks. There is a long laundry list of walks that I would love to do around the world. And I often work on many of them simultaneously and, uh, and hopefully within the next year or so, I'm negotiating a new TV deal and you guys will see me take on one of those exploits very soon. Oh, wow. That's exciting. And I really appreciate uh, learning all of your nuggets of wisdom. Anything else you'd like to share with our audience today? No, I just, just to encourage people that, again, surround yourself with positivity from TV to music, to what you watch, to what you hear, to the people that you surround yourself with. I've had to weed people out that were very close friends because they were nothing but negative in order to get, and again, still love them, still respect them, still call them every couple months to see how they're doing, but don't spend 24 hours a day with those people. Often they're family members. So we gotta be very careful and we still have to love them. We can't just, again, cut people off, uh, but, but be very smart with what you surround yourself with. Live by the words, never give up. And I truly believe that your dreams will come true as well. Never give up and keep your mind positive. Nuggets of wisdom. Thank you so much, Nick Walenda, the king of the high wire. We appreciate you being on The Motivation Show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Eli. Thanks so much for tuning in. We love our listeners, and we believe you have greatness within you. If you like The Motivation Show, we appreciate you subscribing rating and reviewing us. Check out EliMarcusSuccess.com to hear more inspiring shows and to read our motivational blog. That's EliMarcusSuccess.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.